Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Garden State of Hockey podcast. This is episode 104, and it has been a while. Life's been hectic. The Devils haven't really played hockey except that one game that we haven't talked about, which I don't really feel like talking about it. It was a listless 4-2 loss. It doesn't matter. It's fine. The season's over. The Devils have finished their campaign, and now let's talk about all the parts of the offseason related to the Devils. So we wanted to just start it before we got you know, too deep into the draft, too deep into the expansion draft, too deep in the lottery selection process, and of course... We'll talk a little bit of playoffs, what's been you know surprising, what's been interesting so far, but from a devil-centric perspective, of course, you can get analysis on every playoff series uh, from a third party, you know, in anywhere you look, but we're a devil's podcast, so we'll be talking about the playoff series as they relate to our New Jersey Devils. So joining me, as usual, is John Fisher. How you doing, John? I am doing well on this return to November in yeah. New Jersey. Because uh, it has been rainy, gray, and cold on Saturday and today as we're recording on Sunday for this Memorial Day weekend, which is typically the unofficial start to the summer here in our great state of New Jersey. So get your umbrellas and go hit up Bar A. I don't think they allow umbrellas in Bar A. I think it's too crammed there. <laughs> Nevertheless, we're moving go, go quickly now pump. from parasols to umbrellas. It was in the 80s for an entire week and now this whole memorial oh, yeah. day weekend when everyone has the extra day or two um the, you know the weather just decided you know what how about rain all weekend and in the 50s no problem you guys will be fine with that right and so again as things kind of get dreary out there there's a lot of interesting stuff happening um in the hockey world and of course the playoffs are fully raging on so i want to actually start with that aspect of things because it's the most topical right now um there are a couple of playoff series most of the first round every series in the first round has been decided minus one which is toronto versus montreal at the time of recording oh man john if toronto blows us i don't, I don't really know what else to tell that fan base it is it's gonna be a moment where they had a 3-1 series lead again it was 3-1, Dan. Um, and it was 3-1. And one. now they're forced into a Game 7 by a Montreal team who... Uh, the interesting factor here is that, you know, Toronto, obviously way better during the regular season. Montreal, not as good. But in the playoffs, they, nope. these franchises historically just switched the narratives. Toronto hasn't had a playoff round win since 2004, despite having many opportunities to do so and playing in various Game 7s. And Montreal winning a lot of series as the role of the underdog that they maybe shouldn't have won. And so historically that's tracked as well. And now we're in line for a Game 7 that I don't think anybody expected, but certainly um, everyone outside of those markets is very excited to have. Well, And it's worse than that, Dan, because in, in each of those games, in Game 5, it went to overtime. Yep. Montreal won in overtime. Game six, Toronto scores two goals in the last 10 minutes to force overtime, loses in overtime despite dominating the overtime period. So, I mean, Toronto fans have to be absolutely livid. And to put this a devil spin on it, let's say the worst case, or let me rephrase that, the funniest case scenario happens and Toronto ends up botching this 3-1 series lead to get eliminated by their historical rivals in Montreal. (laughs) I want Tom Fitzgerald immediately on the phone with Kyle Dubas or whoever is going to replace Kyle Dubas because don't don't laugh. Kyle Dubas may not survive. Yeah, this. no, it's been several years that we've heard this as well in terms of 
Well, you put everything together during the regular season, and for some reason, this team just doesn't have the medal, doesn't have the clout, doesn't have the fortitude to get past that first round. You'd think that with the additions they made and the amount of playoff experience that they added between, oh, um, yeah. you know, Joe Thornton, Jason Spezza, um, just to name a few guys that they have there, Wayne Simmons, um, you'd have guys who knew how to, you know, react in that situation and keep the troops calm. And still, they haven't lost in the first round yet, so... This may all be, you know, moot conversation when we look back on this series, um, as it pretty much is with Vegas, Minnesota, but I'll talk about that in a bit. But really, it's if they don't figure it out with this iteration of the team, there's a deeper issue. There's a much, much deeper issue here than variance. And at some point, these young guys are going to have to learn how to close out a series because it has been (laughs) excruciating to watch them attempt to do so only for Montreal to get you know, carry price in the moments that he has to be the most carry pricey and them getting the crucial overtime wins when it matters. And there's been so many overtimes already this playoffs. It's a really, really balanced oh, yeah. playoff season. Um, I think every series saw at least one overtime game in the first round, right? I think that's true. Yes. And, and a lot of the games have been close. There haven't been very many blowouts. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, if you're a fan of either team, of course, it's maybe the most nerve-wracking first round in recent memory. But for the neutral, unfortunately, that includes us as Devils fans, since there are no Devils in the first round, that um, there are reasons to watch the games in full and stay up super late and continue to watch these games because guess what? There's plenty of activity, plenty of action. When hockey is like this, Dan, there is few things in the world in sports like this. And and I, I would put this first round up against any other major sport in the world, even up until including the Champions League and soccer, up until and including the NBA uh, playoffs, I would even throw that up there with the drama and the tension that you see in an NFL playoff game or a college bowl game at the uh, highest levels. Not that cheapy, you know, December 23rd, you know, Beef O'Brady's Bowl in like Jacksonville or whatever, I, like a big name. I think bowl. in terms of like sheer entertainment and variance that you can get, what might come close is the first two days of the college basketball tournament. Um, just in terms of just how many different matchups yes. there are and how much you're watching, uh, you know, this sport in a given day. I see you trying to diminish my Chelsea Blues taking back their second ever Champions League. I, I see you there. I understand it, um, and I understand that jealousy is a uh, is a thing that makes people look very ugly and and small. So, you know what, John? It's okay. It's okay. You'll figure it out one day. But anyway, you know, you know who hasn't figured it out, Dan. <laughs> Toronto, Edmonton. but also Edmonton. Well, and, because, and this is important because... Devils related. The, caveat here. Right. So the winner of that Toronto-Montreal series is going to go on to face the Winnipeg Jets. But the Winnipeg Jets were not a team that was expected to be waiting at the other end of that series. Winnipeg got there by sweeping Edmonton. They of the Connor McDavid, 105 points in 56 games. And Leon Dreisaitl, who contributed 60-something of his own... Uh, turns out that when you guard those two guys, this team has nothing. And just adding Dmitry Kulikov from the Devils at the deadline was not enough to push them over the edge that they thought they would already be pushed over with McDavid producing as he had been. Um, so the Devils do not get to make their fourth rounder as compensation there into a third rounder since Edmonton did not advance past the first round of the playoffs. And instead, Winnipeg just made them look really silly um, for the first two games and then had comeback victories in the third and fourth games that quite frankly are debilitating to a franchise's mental health. Oh, absolutely. And Edmonton fans, if you, if you, if you're frustrated as a devil's fan, if you think, you know, the devils, they haven't done anything. 
They haven't made the playoffs since 2018. They only won the one game in 2018. This is bad. This is awful. I encourage you to go follow some Edmonton fans <laughs> because they arguably have because Edmonton right now arguably has the best player in the world in Connor McDavid. They have Germany's answer to Yari Curry. And this team is still not a playoff contender. Like nobody looks at that team and goes, oh, yeah, they should be winning the Stanley Cup. Like you would look at a Las Vegas or a Colorado or a Carolina or a Boston. You literally have the best player, you know, picked in a draft within the last 15 years. And you're still an OK team at best. And needless to say, Edmonton fans are beside themselves. But related to the Devils. Yeah. Thank you, Edmonton. The pick is now a fourth instead of a third. And they they Good got job. the formula for how to shut down Edmonton really early on. I mean, it's something that is inherently obvious to anyone who knows anything about hockey. But the fact that Edmonton was something like, I don't remember if this is the right statistic, but in terms of chances created, with McDavid on the ice, they were like a plus 88. And then with him off the ice, they were like a minus 123. So there's a very yep. just stark five-on-five five differential. And that's, again... The game state where you spend most of your time. So when you shut down that one guy, uh, if no one else can contribute and the goalie doesn't make a timely save, not that it was Mike Smith's fault, I would say, in this series, like another series uh, that we'll get to in a little bit where you can very much blame the goaltender. um, I I really think that it's just like something has to happen here. You know, McDavid doesn't seem like the kind of guy who is going to ask out of Edmonton. He made it very clear that he's trying to, you know, build this thing there and whatever. But how many times are you going to just dominate the entire league for an entire regular season's length and then just have a team staple everyone on their team defending you at the same time and your teammates can do nothing else without you? It's just really what dragged them down. And that's the big reason why Edmonton fans are so upset because they saw this happening with Peter Torelli. They brought in Ken Holland, who at the time, you know, there was a, a hope that maybe Ken Holland could figure this out. And it turns out Ken Holland is, you know, ultra conservative with his dealings. You know, oh, yeah, you know, I'm not going to make a play for Taylor Hall at the deadline. And then word comes out that, oh, yeah, Taylor Hall was willing to wave his NMC out of Buffalo, which, yeah, I think any team in the league talking about Buffalo, yeah. Hall would probably say yes to, even if the Devils called up. Paul would be like, you know what? It could have been. It could be worse. It's better than Buffalo. He's only ever been kind about his time in New Jersey, though. So that's what I'll say. Well, in any case, however, let's talk about the other stakes the Devils have in the in these playoffs. So, well, so that's the Canadian know, the division Devils, all wrapped up. That's the North. That's the North. But let's go. Let's go to the East. And you know, Washington. They got bodied. Alexander Ovechkin will probably take up most of their cap space for next they season. Were, they Whatever. were nursing more than a few injuries, and also they got bodied by a team that improved so dramatically with the addition of Taylor. Like, imagine that. Imagine adding a Taylor Hall to your team, and also um, a sneaky defensive add in Mike Riley, and that yes. team suddenly improving. Oh, so weird, but Boston has looked like a wagon since the trade deadline. Um, they have really just found another gear and they are now facing the New York Islanders. This is a very devil's heavy matchup on both sides. Uh, yep. And this is um, what Taylor Hall and still John Moore or not John Moore any longer. No, John Moore is not with the uh, Bruins. I will say Jay Pandolfo, I believe yep. is star- still part of the coaching assistant staff, coach so there. You- so there you go. Um, and on the Islanders, they Corey Schneider still on the books. Andy Green is still playing significant minutes for the team. Kyle Palmieri and Travis Zajac are in the lineup. Blue. And, of course, Blue, the, the most important devil in ever. 
history, yeah. you yeah. know, but I had to sigh earlier, Dan, because the, the other stakes in this playoffs is that the Devils own the Islanders first round mm-hmm. pick. And the way it works in the NHL for this year in the draft is that if your team moves on to the final four, you know, you go to the semifinals. I don't, they're not conferences this year. So they're the semifinals. Your, t- your pick automatically becomes the bottom four picks. Mm-hmm. And if you go to the Stanley Cup finals, you're in the bottom two. And obviously the winner of the Stanley Cup picks dead last, which is the best pick in the draft to have because it means you have a Stanley Cup, yeah. you know. In any case, so the Islanders losing – I'm sorry. The Islanders winning in the first round means that there is a possibility this pick goes from 21st all the way down to 29th. And, and we mentioned, uh, you know, Boston winning over – a depleted Washington pretty easily in the first round. Uh, the Islanders <laughs> looked a lot worse than the Penguins did, I would say, through most of that first round. And the big difference here was Tristan Jari. I think oh, yeah. he... There, there's no other way to say it other than he just blew game five. He put the puck on Bailey's stick in double overtime, handed them a free victory, because that is a guy who can shoot the puck. That's a guy who can score a goal. Um and he gave them no chance in game six. Just any time he was called upon to make a save, he just couldn't do it. And Pittsburgh dominated the flow of those two games. I can't stress enough how lopsided they were in Pittsburgh's favor. And it really is sometimes that your team just plays a better game and they just don't get the goalkeeping. And what happened in this series is that Pittsburgh simply didn't get the goalkeeping and the Islanders did through Sorokin. Yeah, absolutely. And this is kind of how the Islanders' road to the Stanley Cup Finals could be. It could be on the backs of Ilya Sorokin and Ilya Sorokin and also some Ilya Sorokin. And did I mention Ilya Sorokin? You might have. But uh, in the playoffs, goaltending becomes absolutely critical. And when you don't have it, oh my goodness, it makes everything harder. And Pittsburgh suffered badly from that. You could argue Washington, to an extent, suffered badly from that as Tuka Rask outplayed his uh, uh, compatriot, which ended up being Craig Anderson at some point. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we even saw that to a degree in the Winnipeg Edmonton series, which again, did not help the devils as Connor Hellebuck played really well. And Mike Smith, he did the best he could, but the 39 year old just took up too much volume and, uh, was hung out to dry too many times by some defensive schemes that we may be too familiar with as New Jersey devil fans. Um, in any case, just to put a bow on it, um, Boston did win their first game against the Islanders, which is a good sign because it means that if Boston wins, they move on to the semifinals and the Devils pick will end up in 21st and has a good chance of going getting improved if Toronto blows their series against Montreal. Because that means one of Winnipeg or Montreal moves on to the Final Four, and that means the Islanders pick would move up at least one spot because um, Montreal-Winnipeg finished worse than the Islanders in the final season mm-hmm. standings. Yes. See? A few things riding on that, again, and it's Devils on both sides, so it's very contingent on... You know, some devil moving to a round that they, I don't think, have been to besides, like, what, Zajac? That is a good question. Uh, technically, Schneider, oh, Schneider with Vancouver. Yep. Yep, yep. But that was a long time ago, too. Um, Zajac, I'm trying to remember if Palmieri with the Ducks made a run. I don't believe he did. But I could be wrong. I mean, it's it's very possible. Oh, and Green. Green, Green oh, obviously Green. did with the Devils in 2012. That's right. That's right. So, so a lot of uh, stakes riding on former Devils for the current Devils. And again, whether or not that's a 
very late first round pick or a mid to late one, it does make some difference in a year where scouting is not as consistent as it you know, has been in the past. If anything, it might actually lessen the impact that that has if the Islanders do win. But still, you like your chances more in the middle of the round rather than at the very end of it. So, um, you know, there's still a way that we prefer things to shake out from this point on. And so Boston, the Islanders compete for the right to take on the winner of the other um, East matchup, which is going to be what the Central Division, I believe, right? Because the North's considered the West. Let me confirm that. Mm. But, I think uh, it would just make more sense because that division yeah, is... Yeah, you are correct. And so what happened there? Another former devil who has ended up in Florida playing for the Panthers lost to another former devil in Blake Coleman's Tampa Bay Lightning. Uh, Tampa Bay Lightning get to add two $10 million players for basically no penalty whatsoever just for the playoffs. So what, yep, what, there's no salary cap in the playoffs. What a privilege to be them and just have that luxury of, oh... He's suddenly healthy, okay, and scoring nine points in the first four games of the playoffs. That's not a big deal. It's fine. It's easy. Kucherov, nothing nothing suspicious happening here. But again, Tampa, you know, they're they're a buzzsaw of a team. The Florida Panthers were pretty new here as for the most part as a whole team. Um and they also cycled through three different goalies in the series. So that was already never going to go well if you see a team doing that. But uh, so Tampa dispatched them in six games. It was a great series. It was very, you know, very interesting to watch, very chippy, very... Um, it was nice to essentially see a new rivalry forming. Um, so that was really cool. And then Carolina taking on John Hines's Nashville. They also took care of them in six games, but that wasn't without its difficulties as they went up 2 nothing in Carolina and then lost two straight overtime games in Nashville before uh, retaking control of the series and eventually closing them out. So Carolina, Tampa Bay, everyone kind of expected that to be the series coming out of this division. And lo and behold, we have it, and it's going to be a great one. These are two very good teams. Absolutely. And that's one of the best things about this year's playoffs is that there's not good outside of the North division. <laughs> like there's no like and maybe the Islanders, there's no team that you look at and go, yeah, I don't think I think they're in over their heads here. Like the other matchup, uh, just to briefly touch on them, because they're in an opposite division, the West division, uh, Colorado swept the Blues. <laughs> the only thing of note is that Nazim Kadri did something stupid and got suspended for eight games. So, you know. Playoff traditions continue of Nazim Kadri doing something stupid and getting suspended for that it. That wasn't just not uh, a le- series. That was like just that was four embarrassments. Yeah, that was going to happen yeah, to that, whoever that... was the fourth team in that division, whether it was against Vegas or Colorado. Uh, maybe not so much against Vegas without Pacioretty, but it was still not going to be particularly close. I mean, whoever finished fourth yeah. there, whether it was St. Louis or Arizona or Dallas, they were sacrificial. Disaster. That's they were, they were just, yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> But the opposite of disasters happened in the Las Vegas, Minnesota series, which went the distance mm-hmm. all the way. And, and it had all sorts of all kinds of different sets of drama. You have a Dev, um, Max Talbot playing out of Cam his Talbot. mind of opposite Mark, Cam Talbot. No, Max Talbot's a forward. You're right. Cam Talbot's the goaltender. Oh, I'm a Max Talbot's the retired right. Penguins forward. Yeah, the retired player, yep. too. Yeah, I'm also old, too. <laughs> uh, but Cam Talbot and Marc-Andre Fleury put on a show until they didn't put on a show. And then the offense took over. You got to see Zach Parise 
make his debut after being a healthy scratch in the first few games because former devil Marcus Johansson broke his arm, um, continuing the tradition of Marcus Johansson getting, you know, getting an unfortunate injury to undercut his uh, possibilities of playing ice hockey. Also, um, I think former devil but, Bill Guerin's uh, team building skills have right. really shown through. Um, Minnesota was way more, ex- I mean, it came down to a difference of a few players, namely uh, Kirill Kaprizov and uh, Cam Talbot was why Minnesota was, they made such a big leap from last year to this, but also, oh, absolutely. Um, it speaks volumes that they were interesting. Finally, like whenever they made the playoffs, they would just kind of whimper out in five games. No one really talk about them as a threat, but this time they were fun to watch. And I think a lot of that did have to do with the fact that Vegas was missing their leading scorer from the regular season. Um, Cause once you take Pacioretty off the ice, it's, it's a lot different of a team that you're approaching that's still good, but it's a very different kind of game plan that they'd need if the offense can't flow through him. Right. And Pacioretty did notably return for that game seven and scored an important yeah. goal. But uh, to, to the credit of the Wild, they battled in that seventh game. They tied up the Golden Knights twice. Uh, they got a lot of a lot of contributions from a lot of different players, as well as while Kaprizov was definitely the story of the season. He had three points in the playoffs. So did Parise. So did defenseman Jared Spurgeon. So did forward Joel Erickson Eck. Mm-hmm. So did Jordan Greenway. So did Matt Dunba. So does Jonas Brodeen. So does Matt, Matt Zuccarella Asen. I still remember when he had Asen at, at his, at his uh, surname. Dan. That's how old <laughs> I am. But more importantly is that that's a whole bunch of different guys and notably defensemen. Whereas in, in for that game seven, you know, Pacioretty returned, but they got a big game out of their fourth line with Jan Mark and uh, defenseman Nick Haig. And uh, they pulled away at the end. But uh, it was a fun watch from start to finish. But you're absolutely right. This was definitely the most entertaining wild team in a long time since for years their reputation was we're a system team. We're going to play our system and and damn you if you don't like our system. And now similar to a certain devil's team. Oh, yes. Um, Now we get the absolute humdinger of a matchup that we wanted to see in the bubble last year that Dallas ruined by beating Colorado. Really, I should say that Joel Kiviranta ruined by beating um, Colorado when it mattered the most. And now we see Colorado versus Vegas. And this should be, I mean, a lot of people are saying that this is the series that defines the winner of the cup. And not only are they saying it now, they've been saying this in anticipation of this series all season long. Yeah, this is going to be a banger. Like, this is the equivalent of... You know, you've got the two big main event fighters in UFC coming together. It's the it's the equivalent of that WrestleMania main event showing up where you just go, yeah, this is why I spent sixty dollars or seventy dollars to watch this show. This is this is a marquee matchup if there ever was mm-hmm. one, and um, it should be an utterly utterly fantastic series. Um, believe it starts tonight as we're recording, so it starts on May thirtieth. On Sunday, it's on NBC, not NBCSN. So even the even the TV people know this is national yeah. television viewing. <laughs> this is network television viewing. So if you have the opportunity to go see this, do whatever you can because this will be a wonderful series and it should start off very well. And it, Dan, however, Dan, if you want some wackiness in tournament play, <laughs> oh good. You need, you need to go to lot. I was worried how we transition into this, but yeah, it has been nutty seeing some of these results that have happened where your usual, you know, contestants that are uh, stronger. I, I think this shortened season led to a lot more 
um, injuries, a lot more trepidation about travel to the World Championships, understandably so, from a lot of the NHL talent that's usually, you know, getting eliminated from a lot of the NHL mm-hmm. talent that just finished out long seasons and long condensed season, uh, maybe not long, but definitely condensed and hectic seasons, yeah. which had, you know, taken a toll mentally with all the protocols that they had to follow. And so the teams that you usually expect to do very well didn't have the same kind of firepower. They had to replace it with other sources, with maybe some younger players, um, people in other leagues. And so we don't see a lot of the NHLers going to the World Championship this time around, which has allowed for results that are, quite frankly, historic, as what, Latvia beat Canada at some point. Um, oh, in the first in game. In the first <laughs> game, they beat them, I think, 2 nothing. So, 2 nothing. yeah. Jaeger I, keeps Dan, scoring. Dan. Oh, Dan, it, it's worse than that. It's actually worse if you can oh. believe it. Like, we got to see Denmark beat Sweden the day after <laughs> Canada do nothing. We got to see um, we got to see Switzerland beat down the Czechs five to two. Mm-hmm. We got to see oh goodness. I got to, we got to see Belarus edge Sweden one nothing. We got to see uh one of the weakest USA lineups in recent memory just beat down the Canadians five to one to send Canada to a two an zero and two start that they've never had at a world championship or an Olympic tournament ever, ever Dan. And then of course, after losing to America, they followed that up by losing three, one to Germany. <laughs> you would expect that in soccer, not hockey. Yeah. And it happened, it happened in Riga, May 24th. Check the teams. Well, it's, it legitimately happened. Well, so it's a weird one result-wise for the teams, but how are the individual Devils doing that are there? Right. So the Devils have six players at this year's uh, World Championships. It was supposed to be seven, but Kevin Ball picked up an injury uh, and was ruled out for Canada. So he was replaced by Jared um, Bernard Docker on defense. So the Devils have two for Switzerland, Nico Heischer, as you would expect. Yep. He is uh, with the Swiss. He is... Um, playing a significant role his scoring has not been all that in a bag of chips it's mostly been led by somebody named gregory hoffman who has seven points and five goals in six games timo meyer who has been playing regularly next to nico heischer um has been the uh, recipient of some sweet assists from mr uh, heischer and as such you know he's got four goals and i believe all three Three of them came from Heischer. Uh, Heischer currently has one goal and three assists in six games. He's been playing quite a bit. He's averaging close to 19 minutes per game. So that should tell you he's playing in all situations for Switzerland. And um, he's effectively their their team leader for a Swiss team that uh, should make it to the tournament stage. Um, the other Swiss player, uh, I'm sorry, the other Swiss devil, I should say, is Jonas Siegenthaler, mm-hmm. uh, whom the Devils acquired. He has been a steady force on the blue line. Um the stats for the world championships are very limited, so I can't tell you anything cool like, you know, this is how Switzerland is performing when he's on the ice compared to this is how they are when he's off the ice. But he's been playing 17 minutes per game. He's only taken three minor penalties. He has no points in five games. He, he missed one game due to a minor injury. Mm-hmm. So no big deal. Um, but he's, he's been there. Um, for Belarus, who unfortunately has been slipping to the bottom of their group um, because we're finding out that the Belarusian uh, national team is not good. And it does not help when you have two players racking up over 20 penalty minutes, which means they've got thrown out at some point. Yeah. <laughs> Those are misconducts yeah. happening. Uh, Yegor Sharangovich is one of their leaders. He actually flipped off the other team in the first game after scoring a goal <laughs> in, in an embarrassing loss. He, he did apologize on social media for that. 
So credit to him for realizing that was not mature. Uh, he is one of their leading scorers with two goals and one assist. Um, only Mikhail Stefanovic has two goals and one assist to match him in scoring. Uh, that should tell you what you need to know about the Belarusians, that three points is enough to lead in scoring on this team. They are not doing very yeah. well. <laughs> um, uh, so for Slovakia, which has had a very good tournament, Dan, very good. In fact, Slovakia still has an opportunity to win Group A, which has Russia in it, mm -hmm. by the way. Uh, Studenich has been playing more. Marion Studenich, um, who um, I guess we can call a New Jersey devil at the very least. He was a Binghamton devil. Um, he has played uh, around 14 and a quarter minutes per game. Um, he has an assist, 14 shots on net. He's been a little uh, gun shy, unfortunately, in terms of, uh, you know, Maybe not gun-shy. That's a wrong phrase. He, he's he been a bit unlucky since he has 14 shots on that and none of them have went into the net. Um, this is the team that currently has the tournament's leading scorer in Peter Chalaric, who is a future Boston Bruin. I believe he's a Bruin – excuse me, a Bruin prospect. So Slovakia is definitely on the up and up in this tourney. So credit to them and student each for playing a regular role on them. And the final group is the amazing – I cannot believe this was the lineup, and I cannot believe they could still win Group B, this United States team, yeah. which has Matt Tennyson and, believe it or not, Dan, Matt Hellickson. Yeah. That's right. The the guy who just finished his nor career at Notre Dame played five games for Binghamton on an ATO, so he's not even signed with New Jersey. That's how deep the, the United States hockey people had to go to get players for this tournament, to call up a former USNTDB player from years ago mm -hmm. to say we need defensemen do you want to play for us dude and he is and he's been playing regularly and that's the other weird thing dan is that tennyson and hellickson from all accounts has been playing well tennyson has two goals dan <laughs> well tennyson has been averaging 17 minutes in this tourney tourney and has two goals and hellickson has been averaging just under 16 minutes let me, let me which counter is with the, remarkable the point i made to start this whole discussion in that it's been a weird year and not a lot of nhlers are there in general <laughs> No, they're they're not. If you look at the USA and Canada rosters, you're just going to go, wow, who? Like, you see the number of names that are NHLers, but they're like third liners, fourth liners, third pairing guys. I'm honestly shocked to like, not see Brian Gionta there this time around as well. I'm, I'm surprised they didn't ask him. He might have said yeah. yes. Seriously. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but this this world championship doesn't even have a lot of, you know, teams where, you know, national pride is very much at stake, like for the Finns, the Swedes, the Russians, or technically I have to call them ROC because of the doping scandal uh, punishment. Um, they're Russia. We all know it's Russia. Um, you look at those rosters and a lot of NHLers said no. They just said no. We're too tired. We're too hurt. We don't want to go to Latvia. We need we need a break after four months of blitzing through a 56-game schedule. And, um, you know, the Finns and the Russians, they've done well, but it's it's a reason why Sweden is currently on the outside looking in of the tournament spots. And it it's why Canada could miss the tournament uh, part of the world championships if you can believe it there is a po real possibility canada does not play for a medal this year at all canada did. yeah and i don't really know how much again the organization cares just considering that they know that they don't have really the prizes of their program available i know there's a lot of people um players who would qualify for a tournament like this who are usually encouraged to come to a tournament like this that also got significantly more NHL time this year than they would have any other year, just with the amount of injuries and the amount of players and protocol mm -hmm. and taxiing back and forth with the squad. So they're also 
in a time where they would usually be more available, they're also not a, as available to play here. So I don't think the organizations and the individual countries are too bothered by any sort of results. Obviously, for the ones that do well, this is like their opportunity to actually do well and make a name oh, for yeah. themselves. And for some players who usually wouldn't get this much of a forum to show their skills, this could be their opportunity to break out. Absolutely. And as such, you know, if you're a team on the on the week on the what I'm going to call a smaller hockey nation, like if you're a Great Britain, a Norway, uh, even a Latvia who is hosting the tournament, like this is your time to like build yourself up because there's no relegation this year. They didn't have the other world championship divisions played this year. So finishing dead last in the groups does not come with the penalty of going down to division one a next year. So Italy, you get to come back for another world championship and great Britain and Belarus, you know, you'll come back as well. Um, but yeah, if you're a team like Kazakhstan, Switzerland, Slovakia, the Czech Republic, if we're going to be honest here, Denmark has an opportunity to play in, in the, in the medal rounds. Germany has a shot at the medal rounds. Like this is, this is a wonderful time to build yourself up ahead of an Olympic year and ahead of another hopefully more normal world championship cycle next year and bring some more prestige and some more attention to your program, which for a smaller hockey nation or a mid-sized hockey nation, that's a big deal. You know, that's something that you could, you know, hang around your neck. And also one other storyline of this tournament, Dan, why we should care mm -hmm. is that the United States and Canada each have a draft eligible prospect that could go first overall. The USA has Matt Beneers, of Michigan, who's been playing regularly and re regularly quite well for the United States. And Canada has se seemingly taken the chains off of Owen Power and have given him some big minutes in the last few games, which not so coincidentally, Canada has won. So it, it's helping Owen Power's case and uh, to be number one, as it is helping Benier's case to be number one. And there's a lot of a lot of GMs are paying attention to this tournament for the teams that are not in the playoffs because, of course, they're in the draft lottery. And Dan, do you know what's happening this Wednesday? This Wednesday happens to be the, uh, what, fourth or fifth time in five years that the Devils have to care about the results of the draft lottery. They have to watch it with you bated are. breath. Absolutely correct. Don't, don't you feel good about being correct, Dan? I feel mixed about being correct because I don't want to be correct on this point specifically, but I do love being correct. Okay, well... <laughs> Yeah, so this this year's draft lottery, this is the last time this draft lottery is going to be run in this format because after this year, they're going to start imposing additional restrictions over lottery. Well, and this is also so very different because there's only two spots up for contention instead of three. This Correct. Time. Yeah, they did make some changes. And also, Seattle comes yep. in. This is Seattle's first uh, draft lottery. They're locked into third overall odds, which are matched with the Devils' odds of getting first overall, believe it so or not. So 10.5% so. chance that the Devils – they actually changed that too. Everyone thought it would be 9.5. It's 10.5. Yeah. yeah, they modify the odds a little bit, which is more inside baseball things. And also the other concern here is Arizona. Mm -hmm. they're, they're, the NHL came so hard down on Arizona for having that extra combine that they forced them to not only forfeit this pick, but if they win one of the lottery picks, Dan, they just redo the lottery. Yep. So if you're, let's say that, let's say if you're Buffalo, you know, your team sucks, you hope to get a high draft pick. You hope to finish in the top two and you get one of those lottery wins. And then you find out Arizona has the other one. You just throw that win yep. away. Done and dusted. <laughs> Thanks, Arizona. Waited and way to not follow the rules. I mean, you screwed Buffalo again. I think, I think this year... <laughs> As much as it is nice to win the lottery and have your choice of player, 
This year, I would say that the need is a little less urgent than it was in a couple yes. of recent past seasons as well. Like, I would say the same was generally true, and we know how it ended up, and obviously hindsight's twenty twenty. But when the Devils won the draft lottery for Nico Heischer, I would say that it was not clear who would be number one at that point. It was not clear... You know, who of, yeah, there were two players in the moment that everyone thought would be number one, but looking back at the class, there's a few that could have been number one in general. Um, there wasn't any yes. clear cut, you know, one, two, and then the rest, like there was in 2015 with McDavid and Eichel. With this draft, it feels more similar to 2017 than it did to 2019 when Hughes and Kako were the main prizes. You wanted to win the lottery for those two players, or win either of those spots. Obviously, the first one was preferred, which the Devils did get, but. Um, for this one, you know, I don't really mind if the Devils don't necessarily win this lottery. It would be nice to have the choice again, but I think that there's a lot of good players that they can pick up, even in the place that they're in now. It's not necessarily a requirement for them to win one of those top two spots. There's no major urgency to do that. So I, I think that there's a little bit of, you know, exhaling that we could do before this happens. Yeah, and not only that... This draft class, for the first time in a long time, I think whoever wins the lottery is going to determine who's number one. Because let's say for the sake of argument, let's say Anaheim wins, mm -hmm. it, which is possible. They have the second best odds. Anaheim just drafted Jamie Drysdale. They just drafted Caden Gooley. This is a team that is almost screaming for a 200-foot forward to help bolster up the forward ranks. Like, if I'm Anaheim, why would I take Owen Power when Beneers could be my mm -hmm. guy? Or better yet... If I feel like if I'm Anaheim again and I decide I need a high-scoring winger with tons of skill and already has professional experience, maybe I'll just take William Eklund instead because mm -hmm. that's what I need. And if you're Buffalo, again, same same argument. Yeah, you, you could, Owen Power may end up being the consensus number one among the draft followers and the services and, and, and the papers, so to speak. But if you're Buffalo, you have Rasmus Dahlin, who, by the way, needs a new contract. And, um, you know – of all the issues they had, if, if Eichel's unhappy, you may want to give him a player he wants to play mm -hmm. with, and it may not be Owen Power. Yeah. <laughs> so that's, that's I think, how this draft class is going to go. It's going to be more contingent on who picks where. So Wednesday is going to be an important day in terms of figuring out where everybody stacks up. And I understand with the Devils, fans are already you know clamoring for Luke Hughes since he is Jack's brother, and he is one of the top uh, prospects in this draft class, and he is a defenseman. There's um, more family ties. I'll call them quote-unquote family ties because there's another family ties one with uh, Brant Clark, uh, brother of yeah, Grant right. Clark, who's also a highly touted prospect. But you mentioned him before. I'm not going to – it's not a direct family tie, but it is a very devil similarity as Eklund was centering Alexander Holtz in the SHL um, for a long time before you know Holtz came over and started playing games for Binghamton as well. So – uh, there's a lot of Devils connections early on in this draft, which is why I'm not too worried about where they end up in the order. Again, it would be nice to have the agency to choose who they prefer, but I think they won't be too dissatisfied with whoever ends up going wherever they draft. So I think it's just a good time to have a high pick in general because you want to be in that one to eight range and not after that. And there's no way the Devils can yeah. be in that Outside of that, like literally they can't. Their, their odds are either going to be picking first, second, fourth, fifth. Or I think sixth. they're most that's likely it. to pick sixth. Well, that's just generally how yeah. the odds work out. The odds work out that your most common 
situation is that you fall back two yep. spots, which obviously cannot happen. Not everybody's going to fall back two yeah. spots. Um, in any case, um, let's try another awkward segue. Because <laughs> these players, like Holtz and Clark and um, many of the other prospects in the system, they're going to be playing for the AHL team mm. next season. Or they're going to start with the AHL next season because the Devils have a lot of young guys in New Jersey, and they're probably not going to lose their spots without a fight here. And that will include whoever gets picked in the first I mean, with the Devils' first round pick mm. in the top ten this year. But Dan, where are they going to be playing? They are no longer going to be in Binghamton or this year Newark, as we talked oh. about last episode. They are officially going to be in Utica, playing for the Utica Comets. Not the Utica Devils. They're going to retain the Comets name, at least for now. Uh, team owned by Robert Esch, who grew up watching the Utica Devils. Um, he's a local from the area. He now owns the team, um, wanted to bring it back as their affiliation agreement with Vancouver had ended, which made sense for all parties involved. Um, can't imagine it was convenient for Vancouver to get players in for game day coming from Utica, so they moved closer to their parent squad, also in British Columbia. And the Devils get to retain this close relationship geographically that they had with Binghamton with Utica as well. And of course, there's, you know, feelings from the Binghamton market. It's a, you know, it's a shame they had to lose their team. I think they got a very good reception while they were there, at least uh, from the fans. They may not have had a lot of success, but I think they were a very much a beloved team there but then we go to Utica which is you know always raring for hockey they've always had the capacity for a hockey market and again they've been long associated with not just the Devils but Utica hockey with a bunch of different teams in the league and the Comets were brought back um, very recently to have this affiliation with the Canucks or uh, initially it might not have been the Canucks I don't remember who it was but they're back now they're back in the fold so the Utica Comets is where those players are going to be housed for next year. It's going to be the new feeder program for New Jersey, and we'll see how that changes. I don't think there's been any announcements to changes on the hockey side of things necessarily, but um, from an organizational standpoint, yeah, new affiliate, Utica Comets, so get used to it. Not only get used to it, but get some new jerseys if you're in the Utica area because the team has confirmed that their color scheme is changing from the Vancouver blue, green, and white into the much more acceptable and fashionable red, white, and black of the New Jersey mm. Devils. So already they're making improvements from an aesthetic standpoint. Yep. Um, and also, more from the New Jersey side of things, there will be uh, another person in the Devils Hockey Operations Department that will um, you know, keep tabs on how the players in Utica are doing among other – many, many other tasks that this person has. It is a new uh, role in the organization. They'll be working under Assistant General Manager Dan McKinnon, who does focus on Utica among his other tasks. It is former world champion, gold medalist, and American women's hockey legend. Mm -hmm. Maybe maybe I'm a little well, I guess she I guess legend oh, is yeah, appropriate. Yeah. Yeah, the, Megan Duggan mm -hmm. is now a New Jersey Devil. She is serving as manager of player development, um, which, again, works under Dan McKinnon. So um, clearly they liked her enough to make a new role for yeah. her. You know, they didn't just say, yeah, here's a job for you, you know, done and dusted. It's 
we're going to create a role for you. We will create a position in our org chart for you, which is speaks to her talents and how well she interviewed and how how much uh, she brings to the proverbial table. We'll see how she does in the management role, because uh, if she does well, I wouldn't be super shocked if she becomes an assistant GM one day. I mean, if you want someone who can help young players develop and know how to win, you bring in someone who has won at the highest levels. And that is what Megan Duggan has done. And this is someone who has so much experience playing in important hockey games, understanding the mental aspects of the game, both on and off the ice. And there's just a lot that she brings to the table that I really think it's going to be a huge benefit for uh, especially the younger players in the organization, which is now, oh, I don't know, all of them. So (laughs) it really is like... (laughs) We're really kickstarting this whole, okay, we've had a couple of years to get to know each other. We've had a couple of years to mesh. Now let's transition this core, whatever it may be, to understanding what it takes to win on a daily basis, understanding what it takes to win in big situations, understanding how to have the fortitude to do that. And uh, bringing Megan Duggan on really accomplishes a lot to that end. So congratulations to her and the Devils organization for making that um, for making that decision. I think it's one that they will not regret. So looking forward to see the fruits of her labor as well as the young core continues to develop. And I think we should leave off here. There's been a lot of, um, well, oh. nope, nope. There's, there's a player who will not benefit from Megan Duggan. There's a player who will not benefit from Megan Duggan. No, because unfortunately, oh, true, this true, is, true, this true, is, true. You're right. There, so, so we, we mentioned that a lot of Binghamton devils are moving up to Utica, but unfortunately there is one devil who will not. Um, yes. Goaltender Gillisen has decided um, in the in the past couple of days to sign a three-year contract with HC Davos right. in Switzerland. So he is returning back to his native country, back to his former team. Um, needless to say, you know, the HC Davos people are very happy about it. Their their coach, Al- uh, Jan Alston, or Jan Alston, I, I'm not super sure how to exactly Jan. pronounce that. <laughs> okay, but the uh, quote from Google Translation, uh, from SwissHockeyNews.ch, Gillisen belongs to HC Davos. <laughs> As a young teenager, he matured into a top goaltender in Davos where he, he has shown in troubled times that he can grow from challenges. Now, Gillis has been able to gain further valuable experience in North America and develop as a goalkeeper and as a person. So, Sen, he did make two appearances for New Jersey in emergency circumstances. Uh, he primarily pay, played with the B-Devils, um, but he will not make the trip to Utica because he is going back to Davos. Uh, unfortunately, this kind of helps the Devils because amid their many uh, entry-level contracts that they handed out this past year, yeah. uh, they signed Nico Dawes and Akira Schmidt to ELCs that begin next season. And since Evan Cormier has to be kept for the expansion draft, that means there's your three minor league goaltenders in Cormier, Dawes, and Schmidt. So Sen, somebody had to be the odd man out, and it turns out to be Sen. So now the Devils don't have to make a tougher decision with somebody else. So we wish Sen the best in Davos. We hope he uh, gets on better and finds more success playing there than he did in Binghamton. I thought you were referring to the fact that the Devils will be losing someone in the expansion draft as well for Seattle. Well, yeah, um, that, well, that, it may not be a Binghamton or I'm sorry, an AHL player. It may be an NHL oh, player. Oh, it's definitely possible. And we'll talk more about that once we see, um, you know, what, 
what the I think the lottery is going to help decide a few things as well on that end, um, because a lot of teams will understand the value that they hold a lot more in the first round, um, especially knowing you know where Seattle could potentially end up. Uh, what if Seattle gets the top pick, for example? That could be a very interesting development that's made there as well and could have implications. So we'll talk about that after the draft lottery passes because there's still plenty of time to talk potential expansion. But okay, so any other notes to clean up before I prematurely end this podcast again? Well, the only the next major day that we have to pay attention to, coincidentally enough, is related to the expansion draft. On July 17th at 5 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, all teams must submit their protection mm-hmm. lists to the expansion draft. So do not be surprised that evening, you know, go onto your social media, go to your Reddits, go to your blogs, go to wherever you go to get your up-to-date hockey news because you will find out who is protected and, more importantly, who is not. Mm-hmm. They may they they may not be with that team for very long because that, that player may not want to hang around they they've effectively been told you're not wanted or you're not necessary so that's the next major date that you you all need to wait for is july 17th but we will try to talk to you before then and hopefully as things do happen with new jersey because goodness they have a lot of internal free agents there's a lot of work to be done nothing that's um you know too too urgent but definitely a lot of housekeeping to take care of so we'll explore that um you know, we'll explore that as we go further into the summer here. And hopefully there'll be more time as things free up for summer activities where we can bring, um, you know, more podcasts as there's more devils relevant things that occur. And again, as we go into the longer off season, obviously we'll take a break on making new episodes for lack of possible devils content, but we'll still have, you know, plenty of information about what's coming next on the show and what we're going to talk about as the next season gets underway, which if you think about it, it's not that far away. It's only a couple of months at this point and there's plenty to do in between then. So any time that we do spend away will be pretty short. So hope you enjoyed this episode. It's been nice being back and we'll be sure to uh, have more episodes in the coming weeks, but thank you as always. And in case you've forgotten in our time away, Let's go Devils, and uh, selfishly, let's go Bruins for now. Go Devils and Bruins, don't ruin that pick. All right, we'll catch you next time. (laughs) Have a good day, everybody. Bye.